so many people think that they're so smart and so brilliant and that if they understand it, everybody else should understand it, um, that they're, they're almost dismissive of anybody who disagrees with them. And it's this supremely dangerous thought because what you're saying, what you're insinuating is that if you don't understand this issue, not only are you stupid, that you're a moron, that you're an idiot, that you're whatever term you want to be, but your opinion is valueless. When chances are they have some platitude that makes sense if you were to actually sit down and think about it, you just don't understand it because they're not communicating it effectively to you. And they're making the same charge. You're stupid, you're idiotic, you're a moron, and you're valueless. When cultures, when power structures look at people as valueless, we are only a step or two away from much more dangerous things. Hello and welcome to The Joe Mobley Show. I'm your host, Joe Mobley, and you're listening to the only place in cyberspace where we talk about being conservative. We hit on current events, the politically correct cancel culture, and problems with civil discourse. But most importantly, we discuss what you can do to come out of the conservative closet. The Joe Mobley Show is a new and exciting podcast that airs weekly on Monday mornings. We have a range of controversial topics on deck. Even so, it's important that we hear from you what matters most. Be sure to send questions, comments, and things you'd like to hear discussed to ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. That's ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. To make sure you stay informed on the latest content, be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to The Joe Mobley Show. Guys, we've got part two of my interview uh, with Taylor Eland, who is one of the hosts of an awesome podcast called Contrarix. Definitely check out Contrarix wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also engage with him and support um, his show and uh, engage with his community directly by going to contrarix.locals.com. That's C O N. T-R-A-R-I-X dot locals dot com. I hope you enjoyed this interview. If you didn't hear part one, uh, go back and listen to it because he is picking up right where he left off uh, and just what is really an awesome conversation. Uh, For those of you who don't know, I typically put the part two of an episode behind the paywall or even the subscriber support wall. So if you want to hear more awesome interview content like this, that part two of someone's interview, then go to djomobleyshow.locals.com and subscribe to me there. Here's the danger with that. It is the only check that they have. Um, And in this country, and we're relatively unique in this, which you know, at first it sounds kind of like what we're unique in this the concept, but we our judiciary seem doesn't seem it operates under the premise that there needs to be a wrong done. Um, so the I think they've been asked to be more proactive in the past, and I'm obviously not using legal language, so I'm using my words, not the court's words. Um, and they've responded with basically nothing's happened yet. Come back to us when it's happened. And there are good reasons for that. It has its flaws, obviously, as you you pointed out, a good chunk of them. Um, The good part of that is sometimes you just don't know how a law is going to play out. It says one thing on paper, but, like, that's either, A, not how it was enforced or not how it was intended, or um, it ends up being 112 years old and then applied somehow to protect social media companies, and it clearly wasn't made for you. You never know how laws are going to play out. So that so they err on waiting for something to happen, and you know and this is where you the term moot uh, becomes legally relevant. Uh, if nothing's happened, then the, then the case is moot. Now I do have a Canadian friend who they they do that. Their court will try issues that haven't happened, and it's certainly more efficient. Um, I am always weary of an efficient government. We've seen efficient governments in the past. <laughs> Um, I, I, I can tell you I can't name a single efficient government I would want to live under. Uh, because when you take them to their logical conclusions, efficiency gets brutal. And efficiency is always this type of concept that tends to play to somebody's interests, not everyone's interests. So, it, it also means increased authority. You know? Yep. And, by, uh, and it, has to, it has to be by deafening. Yeah, a monarch is incredibly efficient. 
Right. Single now, decider. maybe the Boom. Canadians can get away with it because have you seen their Supreme Court robes? No. Okay, Can't homework for everybody listening. Look up the Canadian Supreme Court, and maybe that's why no one's afraid of them. Um, they, they, they look like Santa they, Claus. They're going to be it's, wearing dresses. <laughs> they, they look like a bunch of Santa Clauses. It's great, and they're Canadian, and it's the most Canadian thing I've ever seen. Um, so thank you, Alex Williams, for showing me that. That was hilarious. So... I don't know. I, I I I would have to push back and say I don't want the Supreme Court of the U.S. to be uh, proactive because right now maybe I wouldn't mind it. Right, it's a conservative court, but I don't want a liberal court trying issues that wouldn't come up because it would change the law. Right, and I always yeah. I, I'm always worried, especially when conservatives, you know, they're, they're so quick to want to bust the social media thing. And it's like, look, you're for this now because you think it's on your side, but what happens when the power, the tides of power change? And they did change this year. You want, do you really want to unleash that beast? And the answer is no, you don't. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think um, judicial review, I think the way that the founders envisioned it wasn't necessarily trying things as if they would happen. Um, and yeah, cause you've got, you've got the moot issue. You've also got the stake in the, the stake in the case issue where you can't sit around pontificating about, Hmm, or just theorizing. Uh, what if this happened? You know, that happened to me. I, I realized that, uh, I realized that laws about, you know, if you get pulled over, you have to tell the officer if you have a firearm, if you if you lawfully carry, if you got a concealed weapon permit, blah, 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 blah. I realized just in my mind one day, oh, that's unconstitutional because the person who has the right not to testify against themselves via the Fifth Amendment is the criminal. You get pulled over, you're a felon and you have a firearm, you're constitutionally obliged not to divulge that to the police officer, but it's a law, which only applies to law-abiding citizens. When I get pulled over, I have to tell the officer that I carry a gun. If I were a felon, obviously I wouldn't. And I wouldn't be guilty of not telling them that because I don't have to testify against myself. And the, the whole thing, and I realized this, like sitting in my living room or whatever, and I'm like, oh, well, that's, it doesn't matter. I don't have a stake in the case. I'm not a part of the class that is not, you know, that is covered by the Fifth Amendment to not say that or whatever. Yeah. Um, so there's that issue, uh, which, which I think you spoke to, I think judicial review is more, if a law is technically illegal, they're supposed to shoot it down before it comes into law. Um, and then the, but you're absolutely right. The enforcement practice, which is kind of shooting in the dark, you know, policy only goes so far on paper and then you put it out there and it actually starts happening. Uh, and one, people listening on every side of every issue, I almost hate to say this out loud, but you have to give policymakers some grace. Like they don't have crystal balls and they're not inherently, you know, infallible because they have whatever before or after their name. Presidents, senators, governors, all of them do stupid stuff. All of them make wrong calls just like all of us do. I make wrong calls at work, but everyone's not throwing it all over the internet and saying I'm a terrible, stupid person. <laughs> uh. Right. One of the first thought exercises that they had me do in law school when they had my class do in law school was um, who here agree, who here hates legal loopholes? Everybody raises their hand, right? Who doesn't hate legal loopholes? And they, and they said, okay, oh, cool. Seems you know, too easy. Right. Sounds so they like said, okay, Cool. So let, it, it was a trap. Spoiler alert. And I was like, okay, well then let's find one, right? And someone ended up finding one that created, I think it was a tax loophole. And I was like, okay, cool. Here, there's 30 people in this room. So here's what we're going to do. Write a better law. No loopholes. Oh, that's good. I like you this. Yeah, you can't do it. You couldn't do it. Um, unless you were going to go sh straight, because there's there's always one person, like especially with tax, flat tax. Okay, you solved the loophole problem, but then you have, it's a law school, so it's not 50-50. There's more liberals than conservatives. So you have more people going, no, that's not fair to poor people. Okay, well, then let's try and keep in mind poor people and write a tax code with no loopholes. Yeah, I know, you can't. 
yeah. Oh man, that's that's good. I'm gonna use that. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, when, next time you have somebody complaining about legal loopholes, whether they be conservative or liberal, just say, "All right, tell me which law has a loophole you don't like. Bring it up. Have them write a better one. You can find a loophole. There's always something. Always something. Especially the more interest you put into it. If you're trying to, you know, be fair, whatever that means, uh, to people of different economic backgrounds, so be it. You're trying to stick it to the rich. The rich will find a way. That's what they pay accounts and attorneys for. Um, you can't, you just, you, we couldn't do it in a class of 30 people in law school. And this is going to sound elitist and I don't mean it to be, but 30 people in law school are pretty smart people. If they can't do it, then what? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I, I love questions like that. I always like to ask, you know, staunch conservative or staunch liberals tell me to prove that you're not just a mindless droid tell me one thing that you think or believe that is it doesn't even have to be opposite but that is outside of what your party believes you know right. that the the republican that doesn't think that everyone should have the right to have an ar-15 or the democrat that isn't pro abortion or whatever. And it's like, there are not a lot of those people. Right. <laughs> it's, it's I, so pain. you ask the question, does that insinuate you have an answer? And then I, I which fair is fair that I'm going to have to give an answer too. But do you have an answer to that? Uh, let's see. Um, well, the no knock warrant thing is one. I usually do, but somehow when you said that, it all kind of just went out I put of you my on the mind. Spot. <laughs> here's here's something I think religious conservatives hate. Um, I'm a Christian, like like a real Christian, not like how Joe Biden's supposedly Catholic. Um, I have to remind Christians of this all the time. We cannot legislate morality. I, th I think that this is a little bit, I think this is a little bit left leaning. We can't legislate morality because it's wrong. It's disingenuous. And for a religious conservative, we're also saying that we know better and can do better than God because if legislating morality was right and just, and that's what he would have done uh, to force everyone to do and we're dealing with human morality here. What we think is right, what the ruling party thinks is right, uh, is wrong and stupid. Uh, so, you know, oh, why can't we make it the law that everyone has to go to church and everyone has to do this and everyone, because that, that would be terrible for so many reasons. Right. Um, but the extension of that is, is the first amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of any religion. The, the branch off of that is I when the law is the law and it is separate from um, religious theology, uh, the law here in the United States, the, the law of man. So there are places where what I believe religiously don't come to fruition in the law. And not only is that okay, that's right. That's that type of freedom is right. Just like I can be, you know, not a Christian. I can be a religious. I can be an atheist. Uh, that's the law that God himself, you know, set into motion with the universe. Uh, so I definitely don't win any uh, friendships over that. Um, but it's not, it's not an overtly, it's not like a Republican party standpoint. But right. it's that most, a lot of uh, religious people are conservative, and it's definitely an eyesore at our gatherings because um, they'll be, you know, saying this or that. The gay marriage thing comes comes into it. I, I don't believe that marriage, the way that we have marriage uh, with these certificates and the stuff that we do to satisfy the law, this contract bullcrap, I don't think that's marriage anyway. I think it's right. a way for them to get money and to regulate things and blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah. So well, is the, like, is the gay marriage issue really still an issue in the conservative circles? Especially when we're I, talking I about so. people younger than 50. 
I think so. But Maybe this is my Californian coming out, but I actually don't know anybody who would outright ban marriage, but ban marriage, ban gay marriage. <laughs> um, I can hear Kyle saying, you know, because Kyle takes issue with it. But what Kyle takes issue with is really using the term marriage, and that's alluding to the what you just brought up that you know marriage is supposed to be a religious thing, not a government thing. Um, which that's a fair point, but you ha- but you have to recognize that just because the government recognizes marriage doesn't mean that it's your religious marriage. You can make that distinction. I think more people should, but I don't really know. And again, this could be the California. I don't really know any conservatives who actually are still against gay marriage. You know, it's interesting. Now that you say it, I haven't been hearing it a lot, but I'm wondering if the government were taken over somehow by Christians, not forcibly, we're we're not harkening back to January 6th, just if it, turns out that you know there's super majorities in all three branches that are christians then the question would be would they try and repeal um or would they try and you know reverse and outlaw gay marriage i feel like yes but it's not really it's not on anyone's platform there's no one running for any office in the land that has anti-gay marriage or pro-gay marriage as yeah, not a, with any sort of real staying power. Yeah. Um, now, here's here's something that maybe, you know, this is, when I hear that sort of logic, I always want to say those aren't conservatives. Conservative in this country doesn't mean Christian, and I think a lot of Christians make this mistake. Um, it's not <laughs> Conservatives are about freedom. Um, they're about liberal philosophical thought. And liberal, which I, I, we've ch- I get that semantically we've changed the meaning of all of these words and it pisses me off to no end. Um, but liberal philosophical thought is based on a premise of equality, not equity, not respect, none of those things, but equality under the law. So it is not conservative to say, I want to force everyone to go to church. I want to force my views on marriage onto, you're right, this contractual thing that we do for tax revenue reasons. Um, they they are no better than the authoritarians on the other side who just aren't religious about it, at least not in the same way. So I, I always kind of take issue, like if that's really what this country considers a conservative viewpoint, we already have a problem because that by itself isn't conservative. There's a reason the term classical liberal exists and there's a reason why so many people like it. You know what I mean? Because it's hearkening back to what liberals actually were, um, which is not a modern term. Well, it's modern in like the 1800 sense. So it's, but it's not a new term, and it doesn't mean Democrat. It it was a subsection of Western philosophical thought, based out of the ideas of John Locke and the founders, that provided equality under the law, which allowed things like freedom of religion, like freedom of press, like all these different things. And if you know, when, whenever I see a, a social conservative who kind of takes it too far, uh, I always kind of want to squirm and say, you're not really a conservative. You're just a leftist in priest clothing. I I agree. This is, you know, I didn't know how to feel coming into this, but then I reread our conversation and I was like, oh, this will be fine. <laughs> this, he's not going to be like, yeah, I agree. I, I feel like you feel like you punch conservatives in the gut when you say this. Uh, but you realize that some of the names of the people on the documents that we know and love, um, you know, they're not progressives, but they, they'd be classical liberals. The, the country wasn't created by Republicans leading a charge. The country, the, the best form of government, uh, you know, to, to ever be established here on earth was the child of liberals and conservatives and their study, uh, their study of political ideologies. And, and like you said, the writings of John Locke and well, writings, he, he was around. Uh, that's where this all comes from. It's not USA brought to you by the grand old party. <laughs> right. Um, the grand old uh, party is, 
the, the history of it is very interesting. And, you know, the, people always like to point to, and Kyle does this all the time, he points to the great party switch of the 60s. Um, the Republicans of today are not like the Republicans of the 60s, and they certainly are not the Republicans of Lincoln era. They do, they, I do not think Lincoln would be allowed to be a Republican in modern day, which is weird to think about. You know what I mean? Um, the ideas were so different. Lincoln was famously, he famously suspended, like, constitutional rights. Granted, civil war was going on. Great example of exigent circumstances, to use that term. Um, but we have to keep it's in mind. The same, just, it's the same question that we have today. Can the executive, you know, it wasn't a foregone conclusion. Can the executive take such drastic action because they see fit because abraham Lincoln. a lot of people don't know what you're saying abraham lincoln guys look it up i won't say shredded took a lot of constitutional liberties just just like taylor saying yes he he very famously um i'll say shredded parts of the constitution <laughs> and you know, there's, there's, there is a genuine debate as to whether or not it's different because civil war is a completely different circumstance than relative peace that we enjoy today. Um, that's a fair point. However, yeah, I, you know, we a lot of conservatives today they they hail Lincoln as one of the greatest presidents of all time. They don't know a damn thing about Lincoln, and if they did, they probably wouldn't hold those viewpoints, which says something. That's not to say Lincoln is bad. Don't tear down his statues, please. They're cool, but. <laughs> <laughs> you know, keep in mind that there's more going on here. So to kind of harken back to why I started down this rabbit hole, I think what you're saying that wasn't a conservative belief was actually a conservative belief. I think there are a lot of people, and I alluded to this with the anti-vaxxers, who masquerade as conservatives, but they don't know what they're talking about. You know, we often point to the left and point to people who really don't know what they're talking about. They espouse the ideas of Marxism, you call them Marxists. They don't know really what that means, so they just say that you're a far right-leaning person who's just making up conspiracy theories about who they are. It's like, no, you don't understand the philosophy that you embody, but that's not my fault. That's your fault. Um, that exists just as much on the right. One of my great frustrations with the right is they, you know, we are so, as a whole, we are so freedom-loving, but just like the left, many of us don't understand freedom and what that actually means. Somebody has to say it. You don't see anybody saying it. You're not going to see Ben Shapiro go out there and rail 70% of the party. Maybe that's why he's more popular than I am. I don't know. <laughs> I think, um, and I see that we're at 118 now, so I'll probably just have to split this bad boy. No I think Michael Knowles has made an effort to do what you're talking about. And he's been super cordial about it in saying, I, I think it was a charge. I think it's a similar charge to the one that you're giving and saying that it's stupid and ineffective and it's not enough to say um, we're against this and this and this, or we're against this and we hate this, you know, toss all of that out. And you have to say, these are the things that I'm for. These are the reasons that I'm for them. And this is why I think that this stuff makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I really, I let myself down when I realize I come home, I've had, you know, conversations, which the other people probably say debates or arguments or whatever. Um, but I've had conversations with people, you know, friends, siblings, colleagues, whomever. And I just feel bad when I get home and I'm like, you know, all I did was rant about why what they were saying was dumb or why I disagreed. I didn't present a superior idea, you know, I'm not going to speak to whether your idea is dumb or whatever. I'm just going to say, you know, I'm not on board because blah, I believe this. I think that it's good and right because of these reasons. Um, and I think you nailed it. a lot of conservatives, liberals, a lot of everyone. They're not able to do that. Right. They're not and oftentimes the other side has a point just because it's not obvious to you doesn't make it less of a point. One of the very first things um, I told Kyle, Kyle is, we were roommates in college and he shows up one day as my roommate um, second semester. So he transfers in my old roommate left for some reason. Um, maybe I was that bad. Who knows? And 
Kyle basically plops stuff on the bed, goes out, comes back, and his idea of getting to know this random guy he knows nothing about is going straight into politics, uh, which on a college campus, especially as a conservative, is a very bold move. And, you know, I was kind of like, yeah, you know, at the time I was like, oh, I lean libertarian, da 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 uh, and it's kind of like, so what do you think of Democrats? And I was like, Democrats often have their heart in the right place. They either misunderstand the realities of the world, but that doesn't change the fact that they have the moral high ground in many cases. Um, or they simply don't know what I know. And that goes both ways, right? Just because something is obvious to me, like if I, I could go around all day and get all kinds of likes and get way more listens on my podcast if I went my freedom all throughout social media. I would be much more successful by those, you know, by those more traditional metrics. Here's the problem. If I just go around telling liberals my freedom, you know, that to me means something. And there's, you know, an entire textbook of what that statement means to me. But they don't know the textbook. They, they haven't read it. They don't know what that means per se. They may not fully understand the point of view. So it means nothing to them. It's like them calling us Nazis. Clearly that means something to them or else they wouldn't keep doing it. Turns out when you dive deep into it, they don't understand history, but that's for another time. But it still means something to them. And a lot of conservatives have dismissed it because it, to them it's like, it's obvious I'm not a Nazi. It's like, yeah, but are you having that conversation with them? Why are you not a Nazi? Why do they call you a Nazi? And if you're not having that conversation, you're doing the same thing, but in reverse. So many people just throw out their talking points, their platitudes, whether this be on Twitter because of the short character limit, whether this be in real life at the workplace, at the water fountain. They think that just because they understand a concept that the person that they're telling the concept to understands it. And that's not true. And so many people think that they're so smart and so brilliant and that if they understand it, everybody else should understand it, um, that they're, they're almost dismissive of anybody who disagrees with them. And it's this supremely dangerous thought because what you're saying, what you're insinuating is that if you don't understand this issue, not only are you stupid, that you're a moron, that you're an idiot, that you're whatever term you want to be, but your opinion is valueless. When chances are they have some platitude that makes sense if you were to actually sit down and think about it, you just don't understand it because they're not communicating it effectively to you. And they're making the same charge. You're stupid, you're idiotic, you're a moron, and you're valueless. When cultures, when power structures look at people as valueless, we are only a step or two away from much more dangerous things. I'm not going to use the overused Nazi one because we all know what valueless looks like in that society. But we're seeing this right now in other countries. China is the best example and the most obvious one. There is an entire sect of people who are valueless and they're being murdered by their own government because the people who rule them don't see their point of view and don't care about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of people have no idea what's going on in China uh, or with the Uyghur Muslims or or really just China's form of government at all. Um, it's interesting you were saying a lot of times like we sit down and, and we're not understanding each other's ideas. Um, either party isn't representing the ideas well. Part of it is like we have to set our ego aside. When someone, yeah, I, I'm obviously black. Everyone that sits down with me based on face knows. Yeah, they're like, uh, thank you. I don't for see color. What are you talking about? <laughs> but, you know, they obviously know. They're still like, man, this is kind of a big dude. Like, I, I'm tall. I'm, you know, I, I command a little bit of physical space. Uh, yeah, so I'm acutely aware. People are like, oh, you know, this is a big black guy, like, coming here. And what they don't know is I got like 10 guns and five knives and whatever. Uh, don't dress like Duck Commander. You know, I, at this point, I wear skinny jeans and a t shirt. Uh, but when someone says, cause I've been called, you know, a Nazi, self-hating racist, whatever. It's so easy to just get on the offensive. And I'm like, I am going to destroy this person. Uh, and I, I'll tell you, I've done that before. That was me. In we college. all have. Yeah. I, I was a grade a butthole, like big time. <laughs> um, I, I was exactly what you described. I'm smarter than you. I'm better than you. Your ideas are dumb. My ideas are superior. 
you know, I basically, knowing what I know now, I probably sounded like one of Hitler's advisors or something. <laughs> like, That's the same. Yeah, just, just, yeah. No, 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 no. We're right. We're right. No, I know. I have so much confidence in myself. And it was hubris. There would have been Joe Mobley's photo there. Um, but now I'm like, all right, teaching opportunity. I've switched completely. I'm like Socratic method all the way. I feign ignorance. And I'm just like, you know, unpack this for me because I don't understand. And I can tell from your confidence, I might not say it this way, but I try and deliver it. Like I can tell from how resolute you are, how confident you are, that you have a better command of these issues. So I'm wanting them to explain it to me. This is kind of change my mind, Stephen Crowder-esque, you know, right. except I'm not being inflammatory. I'm just like, you know. I don't want to be a Nazi. Like, I don't want to be self-hating. Like, you know, un unpack it for me and, and help me get to the other side. And usually right. that conversation is much more fruitful. Um, there's a lot of natural discovery. Um, often I find that the other person has good arguments or they have such difficulty framing their position that when we help them frame it together, they they can see the holes better. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so I would just plug maybe, you know, there's something to this olive branch thing. It, all, it doesn't have to always be arrows and stones and whatnot. Right. Uh, but also, you, you kind of said it again. We have to understand that the other side, they do have good ideas and a lot of them have good reasoning. Are there evil people? Sure. Yeah. Are there people who want power and authority and influence? Sure. Yeah. They're conservatives. Yeah, never that trust the part. politician who wants power. Never. Yeah. There are conservatives <laughs> that want power, influence and authority. Yes. You know, absolutely There's nothing new under the sun, but for a lot of them, like listen to what they want. They want better circumstances for the poor. Right. Mm. They want health care for everybody. Yeah. They want high paying jobs. They want stellar education. Yeah. They want the These they want the good future. Desires. Yeah. Right. That's exactly my point. It's like people who rail on liberals often attribute malice where they're what there is is it's almost a naive hope. And everybody has naive hope. And frankly, we should hold on to that naive hope because that's what progresses us. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm always hesitant to categorize all liberals as stupid or evil. Um, all of the, I mean, and Ben Shapiro makes a distinction between liberals and leftists and I would make the same distinction. Uh, I don't know a an evil liberal. I don't. I may disagree with them on politics. I may think that they have a, mis they, that they don't command all the facts appropriately. But I don't think they're evil. I never go after their character. Um, I never go after their intention because, I mean, really, you really think that's me saying something along the lines of um, all, you know, not all education can be equal due to the circumstances of the different communities is somehow the moral answer? That's not the moral answer. That's just the right answer. It's the true answer. And true isn't always right, which and that's an unfortunate reality of the truth. That's why the truth hurts. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, you you can't fault them for what they want. You can fault them for how they get there. And that's fine. But at the end of the day, like what do conservatives want? They want good healthcare. They want good education. They want high-paying jobs. We want all the same things. We're playing the same game. We just disagree on the rules. Yeah, that's what a lot of people don't understand. And when <clears throat> There are some issues where there's no ground to give. Sure. I have sure. some issues where there's no ground to give. But for most of all of the stuff that we just talked about, when they say find common ground and there's nothing we have in common. Yeah, it's all that stuff. And the, the answer can't be like, just how you said it. It can't be, no, that's impossible. Or um, we're going to do this by total control, by totalitarianism. Um, it needs to be a conversation. That's why politics is hard. We make fun of politicians, but just thinking about that little thing that we just spoke about, healthcare, education, and wages, um, and there's a whole lot more to policymaking, but just the, that's hard. It's hard, yeah. 
It sucks. And we're not running for office because we don't want to have to be dealing with those particular problems at that scale. You know, or I'm not, I can't speak for a tailor. No, so I, I, it, to me, I take the approach. That sounds horrible. Running for being a politician sounds horrible, but I keep telling other people, and I've been saying this for years, this politicians suck, da-da-da, da-da-da, da-da-da. At some point, you have to ask the question, and I think more people who don't want to be politicians need to start asking this question, fine. If not me, then who? It's dangerous because people who seek power will use that question to their, to their benefit. But seriously, if you're the type of person who hates politicians, you hate politics, um, Kyle keeps kind of pushing me to run for something. I'm not there yet. I, I, I'm still praying. I'm still hoping in my young naivety that somebody will take up the mantle and do the work that I don't want to do. Um, maybe that will change in five years. But if you keep asking that question, and if you've been asking that question for a long time, and you've been railing against every politician on the book for whatever reason, ask yourself, should I try? It's a fair question. So I don't know. Maybe you should run, even if it's the, something small. The office... <laughs> The office that you're looking for is a huge factor. And I've just, you know, I got three small children, fourth one on the way. And everyone that I run into, they're like, you're a young black conservative, you know, early 30s, like you have to do this. And I tell them I'd love to. I think it would be a lot of fun. I think the challenge, the the unique challenges of the policymaker are the challenges that I enjoy. Um, But what the grown-ups have allowed politics to turn into with this ridiculous, ridiculous campaign tactics and stuff. Um, I just told them, I'm like, what you guys have done is you're taking people, you know, this is just another one of the things for me. Um, You know, whether you're a religious person or not, you should read Proverbs. It's just, it's literally like everyone is okay with Chinese Proverbs, but everyone's offended with Proverbs out of the Holy Bible. It's just literally, (laughs) it's just a book of wisdom. (laughs) It doesn't say, you know, pray all day and and sacrifice a goat and penance, penance, penance. It's just a book of wisdom. It just says stuff like the borrower slave to the lender. Yeah, that's true. If you owe a bunch of money to a bunch of people, those people own you. You they can have you incarcerated for not, you know, paying back that debt. It says stuff like, you know, you're married, stay away from old girl down the street, you know, that's all <laughs> like it's just stuff that will help your life be better. Uh, and one of the things in the book of Proverbs, uh, just speaks to the importance of the family. You know, a wise man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, you know, keeping your own house in order. So like my, my duty right now is to my family, to my kids. So unfortunately I'll just have to be an older politician if ever, um, because we're not done having kids and I would not run for any office of real contention, I guess, you know, what you're talking like federal level office, until no, I'm not my kids talking about that though. Yeah. But in, okay. until my kids were say my youngest was about 20 just because of the nonsense whether I was a saint or a deplorable person the nonsense that would go on in the media you know if the pope ran for office there would be all kinds of scandals and things for that whole time and when he got in office it would all go away. Right. Um, I think a lot of people jump straight to the, you know, if they couldn't make it in Congress, it's not worth their time. And that's not true. School um, board. You know, I was going to say, if you if you have four kids, you would be a prime candidate for school board. Yeah, we homeschool. They don't want to hear from us. <laughs> maybe, maybe they definitely, maybe they certainly need to hear from you then. Uh, <laughs> I'll say, I've, I've thought school. about, I've thought about school board a little because I live in Loudoun County. And if you Google that, it. It's the bluest of blue, Virginia. There you go. And school board in many places don't have an R versus D designation, so you don't even have to deal with that, um, which is a good thing. I think they'll know somehow. Yes, but well, maybe the average voter probably won't because the average voter doesn't really do a lot of research on local elections. Um. Not. Not. Sorry. Hot take. I know. Not supposed to say that one. It's true. It's true. the mo- Here, let me put it this way. Most people think the most important 
uh, boxes for the election are the presidential ones when, whenever they go in because they only go in every four years. And for the ones that go in every two years for their state stuff and their local stuff, they think it's mayor or they think it's governor. It's not true. The most important election in any jurisdiction, period, end of story, is your school board election. At the end of the day, two things are going on in school board elections. A, the obvious one, the future education of children, which will dictate politics for 80 years. So that's a big one. And B, this is where aspiring politicians go to hone their craft. If you want to find the next superstar, they're in a school board somewhere. That's where they're at. The the trope of AOC becoming a going from bartender to congressperson, it doesn't happen. Uh, she she is an outlier. That is not going to be your story. Your you know the story. If you want to be an aspiring politician, unfortunately, most people go through the school boards. So two. So if you want or, to or know city council. But, but school boards where the sleepers are because of the eye, they're all independent or just like you said, they they run as nonpartisan. Right. And, and it affects the future um, in a way that's more like city council. It's, it's, it's like a legislative body. Right. So it's only it's affecting policy. Sure. But it's not. The next city council can undo it. You cannot undo what you teach a fourth grader. It's taught. Um, and we know this well, that's because a good look point. At how, I'm going to use that, too. I'm getting a lot of gems here. <laughs> I'm glad to be of service. <laughs> so if you want to be a truly informed voter, you need to know the ins and outs of your local school board election. You know what? I'll say this too. All of the local elections are more, impre- more important than the presidential ones. There's a reason people say my vote doesn't matter because my one vote won't make a difference. It's true. It's not true, but it is true. But your one vote in local elections can make the difference. And these local elections determine who runs for Congress later on, who runs for Senate, who runs for governor, who does all these things. Governor Newsom over here in California started on the city level. If he was stopped in San Francisco, we'd have a much better time over here. He wasn't, unfortunately. You know, I I beat the school board drum um, because of human trafficking reasons. And I saw on your website that you donate proceeds to, I forget the name of the group, but an anti-human yeah, trafficking group. If only group. I made profit and donate. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we all start somewhere. I've just started making a little, a little profit. Good for you. So I'll hear from the IRS. They'll be like, you made $12 and 46 cents. Yeah, so. you, you owe us 60 cents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but I've always kind of tried to turn on the light for people about city council and about their state legislature because, you know, this isn't fact checked. All right. This is, it's going to sound like a hard statistic. It's just a Joe Mobley opinion. Uh, but that opinion is that 90% of the crap that affects your life that you experience as a Californian or Virginian or New York or whatever is at the state level, the the tolls on the roads, speed limits, um, what your taxes are. Like the federal tax rate is always in the news as if everyone's check doesn't have a state tax thing on it. What the taxes go to, all of that stuff is local level from county up through state. Um, But really county, because guess what? Richmond, Virginia doesn't give a crap about Leesburg. They don't. (laughs) They kind of care about the whole state, but really they care about Richmond. They care about the people who could show up protesting at their door, you know, and making sure that the state looks good in national news. That's the way it is. So your county government, all of the little things, the zoning that gets on your nerves, the fact that they could put a concert venue there or a shooting range there or a butcher house there, all of that stuff is local. Congress doesn't care. The Supreme Court doesn't care. The president certainly doesn't care. And probably your state capital doesn't care either, unless you live in the state capital. Um, right. So like local all the way, that's the, this piece of federalism that is working well that no one wants to talk about. Everyone's like the country's in peril. Things are so bad. Federalism is alive and well, you know, the federal government has not reached into States in a hot minute and really 
I don't want to say restricted because we've got COVID. COVID restrictions are placed by your governor, by the way, not by the president. Right. So I don't want to conflate the two. So yeah, we we really haven't had the federal government cramming down on the states much. Yeah, name another country where Florida and California can be in the same sphere and not kill each other. Exactly. Uh, And and you're right. That is an absolute... Absolutely agree. And that's why, as I alluded to earlier, I don't take issue with states being more cramped down because that's, frankly, the state's problem, right? And it's the job of the state citizens to deal with those issues. And if the state citizens were more informed, there'd be less issues. But, you know, when we have these different, we're supposed to have these little laboratories of government, the founders set the system up for a reason. The whole point was so that it would be, there's a number of reasons for it, right? But one of the big ones is you can leave. And that's a big deal there are so many people leaving california right now they're moving to places like utah texas florida um because uh, california isn't red enough for them and even though it's not a perfect solution it's a better solution than being stuck somewhere where you don't feel heard or welcome um so changing nations is much harder than moving across state lines yes and the sacrifice is real like to become a citizen of another freaking country are you kidding (laughs) And if you're an American, where do you go? Where What's the upgrade? Do you really think Europe's an upgrade? It's not, people. You know, at best, it's lateral. At best. And only because it enjoys the protection of the United States. You know, it, moving into the U.S., there's a reason people want to do it, and it's because it's a great land, and there's a lot of truth to that trope. But, yeah, if you're the type of per- – if you're the person worried about federal overreach, and it's kind of like, okay, well, then you want to foster state systems because if you don't foster the state system – then the feds are all that matter and you have nowhere to go. Maybe Australia, maybe the UK. You won't be happy there either. If you're not happy with our politics, they're more left than we are. Where do you even go? I swear, like we've just met. This is the first time that we spoke offline, but yeah, I I completely agree. Like, yeah, boom, that's it. This, this thing I think the federal government has tricked people into a propaganda thing, not COVID propaganda, toss that aside. I think the federal government has tricked people into cheerleading on their behalf. The federal government of the United States is not all powerful. For a foreign country, yeah, you guys should believe that. Yeah, the the United States federal government with its freaking, and I was in the army, and I'll say this, with the Navy. The Navy is no joke and is tough to deal with for any other country but here in the states the federal government is not all powerful it's not the little man behind the green curtain in the emerald city the states have incredible power and yes you and your school board and in your local county elections you have a lot of say so there and we see this with you know governor DeSantis. It's just like, yeah, no, no, we're not going to do this. If Floridians want to do this, then they will let me know and we'll do it. Uh, And, you know, love them or hate them. Cuomo is who New Yorkers voted for. I can't really understand why. Uh, But if everyone really hated what he was doing, then he would be a Newsom situation. There'd there'd be a recall. That's why recalls are a thing. Uh, yeah, now I'm, it's really funny to see California liberals come out and say that recalls are stupid and shouldn't exist. I'm like, aren't you the people all about voting and democracy and stuff? This this is democracy in action. Just because you don't like the result doesn't mean it's not on long, along the lines of your line of thinking. You're just mad because it's we, your guy. <laughs> what if we called it impeachment? I think they'd be on board. <laughs> oh, there you go. Is that, is that word? You're, we're it, using the wrong terms here. It's just impeachment, really. Maybe if Newsom had orange hair, too, then they would care as well (laughs) all right um well you know one final point on that and i'm just going to bring it up because i've been talking about it all day something for you to consider and then maybe we can come back and have another discussion on this is states are a great thing people need to know more about states most people don't know their state reps and you should know who your state reps are those are important not the ones that go to congress the one that go to your capital however there are states like california The, the how the numbers end up playing out is that there's on the federal level about one representative for every 700,000 people or, you know, somewhere around ballpark that number. Californians are better represented at the federal level than on the state level. 
So we have a huge number of people who are basically unheard in the state. So perhaps, you know, I, I would like to formally invite you to my show and perhaps we can talk about this. Um, I'm a proponent of splitting up California into at least six different states and also other states that are large, like Texas and New York, and just to make sure that there is more representation going on. Because a represented people are heard people and heard people don't riot. And that's a good thing. We don't want riots. Um, so consider the fact that, you know, are you sold on the 50 state number? And why can't there be more? No, I'm not. And here's why. Because every, everyone's talking about, oh, what if they made Port, Port, making Puerto Rico a state, making D.C. a state would cause the downfall of the universe or something. Um, and not to steal the thunder from your show. Again, you nailed it. It's, it's about the representation. It's not about how I feel about, you know, a nice number of states. It's about Vox Poop, Poopley, Poop, uh, Poopyali or whatever, the voice of the people. If the people aren't heard, then tragedy will ensue. See any revolution in the history of the world. Um, So because of that, and, you know, if you're listening, you know, don't just go nuts over what Taylor just said. Um, If you look at the, what are those maps called? The red and blue maps. If you if you looked at one of those little political divide maps, California, if it fractured into six states, it wouldn't be six Californias. It would nope. be one or two Californias max and four Floridas. That's how that's how Texas would break down with Houston and Dallas. That's how California would break down. New York State, totally different place than than the tri-state area, Long Island, New York City, you know, North Jersey. Um, so that's probably how New York would break down. If New York broke down in the four states, it would be three red states and a blue state. Um, so no, we're not saying, oh, the breakdown would make more red states than blue states. The numbers would still correlate. Yeah. Yeah. The, the number of representatives per population base would stay the same. There would still be equal representation, well, at the state level, they could decide whatever they wanted. But on the federal stage, it would be the same. It would be very similar. Um, the only difference is now it sounds like all of the Californians that don't have a voice <laughs> but actually get voice. one right. in, in their smaller state. Um, so what does that result to? What is, where does that lead? It leads to lower crime, higher satisfaction, which which bolsters economy, it leads to a lot of stuff that's not just, yay, there are more red states. Even if there were more blue states, I hate to say this, if there were more blue states, yeah, it would tip some things on the national scale. But that it means would, the Republicans need to step up. Yeah, it, it would change things. This is kind of, you know, a, a macro versus micro type of thing. Right. Um, so that's what and I'll say about always, that now. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and I would like to, you know, I would like to have a further conversation on it another time. Um, I will say one thing just because I know someone is going to be bugged by it because like, they're going to think, oh, conservative saying this, he wants more red states. I actually don't want more red states. What I want, I want purple states. That's what I want. I want competition. I want there to be representation. I want the people to decide what is best for them, and I want it to be done in a way that is not overtly partisan. We don't need more red states. We don't need more blue states. There is a huge danger in this country right now with all the conservatives moving to Utah, Texas, Florida, whatever, and getting isolated in their echo chambers. Just like there's a huge danger in a bunch of conservatives being isolated on the parlor and a bunch of liberals being isolated on Reddit or Twitter or pick your favorite social media platform. There's dangers to these. I want purple states. And Here's a crazy idea. The United States is purple, guys. Have you looked at any election results? Look at any right. election results for the last hundred years. It's always close margins. You have your, you know, your Reagan outlier or whatever. But this country isn't red or blue, it's purple. Right. And we need to stay that way. Um, and as a you know, reflection point for the listener, look, go down, if you're Republican, go down the Republican Party platform. If you don't disagree with at least 
2% of the platform. I got a newsflash for you. You're not thinking for yourself. Americans are purple. Just because we divide ourselves by red or blue doesn't change the fact that at the end of the day, we should be purple. There should be points from the other side that you go, yeah. Um, I don't agree with it, but I understand the left abortion argument, for example. It's a strong argument. It's hard to beat, especially with their logic. I don't agree with the... uh... I agree that the poor should be taken care of. I don't agree with the mechanism. I don't have a better mechanism other than I I contribute to um, organizations that take care of the poor because I'm a Christian and I think that that's my moral responsibility. That can't be the solution. That can't be the law. So what a liberal thing to say. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that means that I, that's what you asked earlier, I couldn't think of. But, uh, yeah, you know, there they have to be welfare programs. They don't have to be as abundant as they are, but we do have to have them. Otherwise, these, these uh, you know, people that have fallen on hard times are just screwed. They, they just die in the streets, and I'm not okay with that. All right, that's not, that's anyway. not appropriate. We don't want to be a society that does that. Exactly. Yeah. See, you, you get yeah. it. You understand. All right, I think I owe you a book recommendation. Yeah, so I was going to say, we cannot get to a two-hour mark. Uh, I It's it's so long. I, I actually didn't use that note sheet at all, except for uh, the introduction, which is just, you know. It means we had a good conversation. The, the signs of a good conversation, yeah. So apart from a prescriptive religious text, if you could get everyone on earth to read and understand one book, what would you choose and why? It's Gulag by Anne Applebaum. And what it is, if I said Gulag Archipelago, people would call me a, hard, a partisan hack because they think that's for some reason only right uh, reading people, leading people read that book. So, All Russians read it. It's, it's mandatory reading in their, their grade school. Those but, uh, Russians. Uh, Americans are down now, so <laughs> go on. <laughs> Um, the Gulag, so if you can read Gulag Archipelago, I would actually suggest you read that. But for the skeptics in you who argue that it's not an academic book, fine. Gulag by, what I say? Anne Applebaum is a very academic text. Has sites and everything. Um, does it rely too heavily on the experiences of one man? And it still points a brutal, grisly picture of the Gulag system in the Soviet Union. So it is important to understand the historical significance of these systems. Um, I, you know, you were talking about welfare and I wanted to say, like, you know, I always want to like throw out, why don't we just do a jobs program instead? And then I can always hear my dad in the back of my head, gulags or job systems. (laughs) And it's kind of like. That's parenting done right. (laughs) Parenting done right. What do you suck uh, at history? <laughs> yeah. So that's my suggestion. It's an academic text on the gulag system. That means that it's going to be based off of sources that are not just Western, but also Russian. Um, brings in the Russian point of view of the systems, which, by the way, weren't great, and is a excellent dive into Russian history that, frankly, Americans need to know more about because the, a lot of the ideologies that we are playing with, especially on the extreme left, or only, and I don't say this to be hyperbolic, I say this because I actually understand a little bit of philosophy, they're not that far away from those systems, especially if implemented. Read it, enjoy it to the best of your ability, and have some hard, thoughtful, and tough discussions about it. That's my suggestion. Sweet. All right, well, Taylor, Elon, thanks so much. Um, I know people can get a hold of you by going to contrarics.com, by... Uh, going to probably contrax.locals.com. We'll have to yep. check that. It'll be in the show notes if that's the right address. Um, what else? What else do you got for people on your platform? Right. So I'm not a I'm not a big social media person. I'm trying to get back into it for the sake of Contrax. So you can find if you want to get a hold of me, Contrax on Instagram is probably the best place to go. Twitter's a hellhole, and Facebook I can't deal with anymore. So you can go there, um, and then of course. You know, you can go to contrarics.com. There's a contact form. You can talk to me there as well. 
So that's where I would suggest you go. I was plugging Parlor, but Parlor is dead. So. And, and I gotta just, ask, are you on Clubhouse? I have not got an invite. So if you want to like send it to me, I'll join. Okay. Yeah, I would because I'm just gonna say it's so hard to have conversations like these with people that are gonna keep a level head. Um, so I've gotten a couple of people that can speak well to conservative or liberal ideologies without chopping someone's head off. Uh, so we're doing that on Clubhouse uh, every once in a while. And I will definitely send you an invite because you need to be, be there. Honored. You, you make way too much sense and you're, you're too uh, a powerful a bridge maker to not be there talking to I people. I appreciate it. So... Uh, thanks so much, guys. Check out his podcast. I've listened to like two and a half episodes, and I'm I'm a subscriber now because it's good stuff. And I subscribed to two other podcasts just because you interviewed them. That's awesome. Yeah. So good stuff. Um, thanks for hanging in. Long interview. And uh, we'll catch you guys in the next one. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Joe Mobley Show. Remember to subscribe and make sure you don't miss out on future content. You can always show your support by leaving a review or making a financial contribution by going to thejoemobleyshow.com and hitting support the show. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. If that was the first prayer you've ever prayed, I hope it won't be the last. Until next time, this is The Joe Mobley Show.